Thanks for listening to this episode of The Narrative. Before we get started, if you've got a question or a comment for a future episode that you'd like us to address, feel free to give us a call or text us at 614-769-7077. Again, that number is 614-769-7077. Or you can send us an email, thenarrative at ccv.org. No adult has ever said, I cursed my family for the movies I couldn't watch. Mm. No adult has ever said, I cursed my family for the video games they wouldn't let me play. Unpacking the toughest issues of the day, this is The Narrative. I'm CCV Communications Director Mike Andrews with CCV President Aaron Baer and Policy Director David Mahan. Gentlemen, Winter rolled in in full force here in Ohio this past week. We're still able to, to get around the table to talk about some of the, the big issues of the day. And, yeah. Little uh, snow and this man starts crying. No, hey, say, just give me some It's not Ohio, that cold that you need man. to be right next to me. Speaking of rolling in, we brought David in on a wheelchair. He threw his back out. Like, I mean, this old you man just come. my business, I don't man. know if you got out here in public. Getting a, getting a cane for yeah. him, getting around. Yeah. I'm, gets, gets, I'm pretty to, sure that might be a HIPAA violation. I just say, to talk about. I just say you know, <laughs> one little pinch nerve. He spends, you know, just a year down at the state house. His back's already gone crooked. You know, just uh, <laughs> you even made my back crooked. I That's like right, that. exactly. I'll give you that one. That no, the, I, the, see the real, the, the real Mike clap for Aaron. The, the, see, this, this is the thing is that like the real comeback here is he's been carrying CCB on his back for exactly. the last. That, that's really he said, yeah, all right. I, I got both the insult and the comeback here. That's the, the, yeah. The, can't can't beat both ends of the spectrum. Save us, Mike. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's get this show on track a little bit and talk about one of the major stories from last week was that the annual March for Life was held in Washington D.C. First time that the the national march has been held since Roe versus Wade was overturned, and it was a, a big turnout from what we saw. And we had our own uh, legislative liaison. Nalani was down there, and yep. we got a great report from her. It just seemed like a, a great day and a lot of energy for the pro-life movement, which, as we talked about last week, we we need going into 2023. Oh, no, for sure. And I, I mean, it's it's special, um, just a reminder of, uh, you know, the, the reality that Rose overturned is, uh, and a lot of folks said this, it's, it's not the end of the pro-life movement by any, by any stretch of the imagination. But what was, what was encouraging uh, for me to see with it um, was – just you know, you had an almost increased energy um, with the march this year uh, of of folks saying, "Hey, you know, it, the 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 work we've been doing is paying off." I think that's the that's the 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 biggest thing. As I was looking at the march, was you know, none of us ever had any illusions that this that the the pro life movement was going to sort of come to an end, right? But I think uh, after Roe was overturned, but I think what really jumped out to me uh, about it was, you know. We we have successes, right? We can we can win, and when when everything, especially in in you know conservative circles or or sort of the Christian public engagement, civic engagement world, a lot of times we get focused on uh, all the negative things going on, and rightfully so because there's a lot of them. Um, this was a, a just a really time to to celebrate that. Hey, we actually we can win when we're organized and we're focused and we're prayerful. Um, and it, you know, winning is never, you know, real cut and dry in terms of, Hey, it's, we've won, it's over. Um, but it is a, a sign that we, we can make progress, you know? Yeah. Nalani had a great time. I was kind of salty. I didn't get to go. Uh, <laughs> there was like a shindig with Jim Jordan, I think mm-hmm. Senator, um, J.D. Vance and everybody, but not everybody was excited about this while that was going on. Apparently at some point, uh, I don't know if y'all saw this, but vice president, um, Kamala Harris, 
was addressing a pro-abortion group. And when she quoted the Declaration of Independence, she failed to, to, to quote two pieces, you know, endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. She did not mention the creator and she did not mention life. Huh. Uh, you know, I, I thought that was amazing. I think it was like two days ago. But, um, you know, what a way to honor and commemorate uh, Roe v. Wade. Right. Well, I mean, again, they, they have, you, you think about the abortion mentality, there's, there's such a depart departure from reality uh, in the way that, of course, they're, they're, they're rewriting history and re- rewrite. I mean, I saw, I don't know if this was the same comment she said that. I, I, I didn't notice that when, when that happened. Um, but, you know, the, the, the same thing they kept saying, which is, oh, they, they repealed a constitutional right. They right. repealed a constitutional right. No, they didn't. They, they overturned a precedent they issued, right? Mm-hmm. This, this, was, this was not anything enacted through the constitutional process. It was something the Supreme Court had said, we're interpreting the law to look this way, which was a wrong interpretation, and the Supreme Court fixed it. So Something about a penumbra was in there. Right, like, what exactly. does that even mean? And yeah. all of those things. No, it, it, it was nonsense. And so, um, uh, again, it, it's things we're used to seeing from them. It, I, I think to the point we were just making, uh, you know, just as we're not going anywhere very clearly, they're not either. Exactly. And you can see some of the the backlash from people that will stand up at that event and then the focus turns on them. We saw it with Tony Dungy, who mm-hmm. by all accounts is one of the nicest professional coaches in history. I know I, I read his uh, autobiography, Quiet Strength. I was very encouraged by that and his Christian witness in the NFL for, what, two decades of being a head coach. And uh, he stands up in support of life and then the hounds turn on him and call for him him to be fired. And yet we see him on Sunday night football and there he is talking football with a bunch of people who don't agree with him politically and everybody's fine. Imagine that. Like you (laughs) can actually exist together. This guy didn't didn't fall down. No, that's right. You know, I think that there's a a few things about Tony's experience that really jumped out to me. First and foremost, like Tony Dungy kind of embodies to me a lot of that Christian witness we need today, which is, when you see the guy, he's he's just a happy guy, yeah. right? And he's he, he he's a kind guy, right? But he very clearly uh, is committed to to God's word, and very clearly is committed to uh, standing on principle. And so when when he makes a stance like he did for life uh, at the the March for Life, um, you know the only thing people can be offended by is uh, is his witness for the vulnerable, right? That. That's the only thing they can hold against him because everything else everyone says is he is a man of the highest integrity, which is is such the the vision of how we should be. And I even think that this was not like a revelation. I think that he's been pretty openly pro-life for a while now. And it's just the fact that the pro-abortion groups see him standing up there at this event. And now it's suddenly breaking news to them, even though he's lived. And I think his wife has been supportive of a lot of pregnancy resource centers. Oh, yeah, where, where they're big in adoption, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, they speak at a lot of uh, banquets and things like that for pro-life organizations. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and I, I think the other thing about it to me, when I saw when, when I saw him on Sunday Night Football, I was, I was thinking about this. And, you know, a, a lot of times when we see things like that, we're like, hey, look, there are people who disagree on politics and, and culture. They're still able to get along. And you know why? Why can't you know? It's it's only politics, so you know it, we we should be able to not worry so much about politics and just be able to enjoy each other and be friends. A guy like Tony, uh, a, a lot of these guys, 
they're not saying politics and culture doesn't matter, mm -hmm. right? I don't think we should ever downplay to say, well, we only disagree about political things. Why can't we, we get along? Like, no, both things can actually still be true. We can recognize these political things and these cultural things are very important. Right. Not killing kids, not murdering unborn babies is not just some political thing, right? Not... Not allowing boys and girls bathrooms is not just some political thing. It's right? political because it's important. It's exactly that. That like we we should not downplay the importance of these things by saying, oh, it's just because we disagree on politics. I, I sometimes I see pastors do this of like they they want to downplay because they because it's so controversial. They're like, oh, we sh we shouldn't be worried about these things. No, though these things matter, um, but but they can matter, and we can also still be kind. On picking up on the the sports angle, another story out of professional sports this past week was with the Philadelphia Flyers and one of their players, Ivan Provorov, who declined to warm up with the team when they were wearing their rainbow themed pride jerseys for for one of their games, and he's claiming uh, his Russian Orthodox faith would not allow him to support that and. Just a gigantic spotlight of hate and bigotry and all yeah. the name calling going towards him. It's the same playbook we've seen in many, many other uh, similar yeah. situations. Mike, you know, I don't know the you know the first thing. About You're not hockey. a hockey fan. Nah, Are you sure? I, I, don't, I thought we were gonna go I, skate. I after saw this. a Blue Jackets thing <laughs> one time. My wife, it was a great evening, but I'll never have to go back. But the thing that was really cool about this guy, um, again, it, it wasn't a platform. He just said, "Listen, I'm I'm not using it. The stick. I'm not about that." Um, I'm not answering any more questions. If you want to know something about hockey, you know, hey, I could talk all day, but I'm, I'm not saying any more about that. It, it was not a, a huge platform thing that it's become since then, but it was amazing um, when the backlash came. They didn't just come at him. They came at the, um, you know, the whole league to say, here's what you need to do to prove, you know, your virtue signaling is on point. Um, it, you know, it wasn't just about him. It was about what the whole industry, the whole league needs to do. And that's, I think that's what's got people all hot and bothered. Yeah, and one of the ironic things about that is the NHL was in the news because they had this hockey is for everyone, uh, event that invited <laughs> transgender participants. And wouldn't, you know, the biological males playing against the females, uh, ended up dishing out a couple of concussions and causing some pretty serious nice. injuries in that game, as one would expect when biological males compete with females. Hashtag save women's sports. Yes. One of our many, <laughs> many pieces of legislation that we want to see passed and one of the things that we're going to continue to advocate That's for, right. that there's a reason that women's sports exist. It's because there's a clear biological distinction between the sexes that needs to be honored on a playing field. That's right. Well... That's all we have for the news this week. And coming up after a quick break, we're going to chat with Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman on the show. He is one of the nation's leading trainers for military, law enforcement, mental health providers, and school safety organizations. It's going to be such an insightful conversation on the psychology of violence. It's a heavy but important conversation, so please stick around for it. Hey, Narrative listeners. You know, Christians in the marketplace today face more unique and challenging threats than ever before. Businesses are following woke capitalism, chambers of commerce are beholden to social justice, and secular activists are chipping away Christians' First Amendment rights. As Ohio's only Christian chamber of commerce, the Christian Business Partnership stands in the gap to advocate for, to educate, and to celebrate Christian business owners. Joining the partnership also allows businesses to provide their employees with health care insurance, workers' compensation, and exclusive banking and educational discounts. To find out more and to join, 
Go to cbpohio.org. That's cbpohio.org. And thanks for sticking around on the narrative. Today we have Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman with us. He's a U.S. Army Ranger, a paratrooper, former West Point psychology professor. He has a black belt in hujitsu. I hope I'm saying that correctly. That's the martial art of the firearm, and he's been inducted into the USA Martial Arts Hall of Fame. But the reason that we've got you on today, uh, Dave, and first of all, thank you for joining us for this podcast. But we're going to have kind of a tough conversation because there's an epidemic of violence in our society oh. these days. Uh, we're certainly seeing it come back in the news with uh, the the mass shootings that have happened in California recently. Can you just help us get our head around the scope of the problem that we're seeing? Yeah. Hey, let's start with, uh, with, with one little dynamic, that word shooting. When did we start calling massacres shootings? Shooting is an Olympic sport. Shooting a movie, you know, makes an Emmy. Shooting a basketball can make you millions of dollars. And, and what we've done by taking these mass murders and calling them shooting is we're blaming the object. And, and, and if, if shooting is evil, then when you're in a shooting, you're condemned by your own words. And, and this is the culture. The, the point of that is that we're permeated by this cultural message. So I'll give you an angle. Now, my, uh, my work, I, 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 I retired 25 years ago. I trained cops in all 50 states, uh, every federal agency, many, many other places. But my first book was uh, was on killing. We'll come back in a minute. Uh, half a million copies sold worldwide, praise God, translated into seven languages, Marine Corps commandants required reading. And the follow on was on combat. Bestseller during the pandemic came out almost 20 years ago and still a bestseller on a daily basis uh, for the medical community, PTSD, aftermath. This way we want our veterans to, to watch. But then, just released this month is a book on hunting. And all of these books have been just tremendously successful, praise God. My prayer is, people say, I know on combat, it was required reading in the Marine Corps. I know on killing, it was required reading. I, I know on hunting, you know. What's Grossman got to say about spiritual warfare? And boom, we got to open the door and get the salvation message right up front from a, from a spiritual standpoint. So in the end, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're in a battle against forces of evil. And in order to defeat that force of evil, you got to have a force for good on your side. And, and the opposite of evil is love. Evil is the absence of love, just as darkness is the absence of light. And we defeat that evil with our love. Our love for our children, our love for our way of life, our love for our nation, our love for our God. And, and this is an epic battle against evil in our society well they you know that's a that's a good lead-in because i I want the the viewers to understand um i came across uh lieutenant colonel dave grossman uh back in 2018 there was a rash of school shootings um and then i saw there was on a timeline for for 20 years that the school shootings kept getting uh more and more uh a, a recent occurrence and and so i was looking for answers i was going to schools all over the country Parents were asking me, teacher, what is going on with these kids? Why are they becoming so violent? Um, we were blaming movies. We were blaming video games. But until I read Assassination Generation, I had no clue what was really going on. And uh, and so I, I, I really thank you for that book. Um, you have an extensive background, um, not just in, in, in warfare, but the psychology of killing. Like what makes somebody or causes somebody to, to do certain things? There's 
there's supposed to be a switch in our brains that keeps most humans from going there. And, and you've done a lot of research into that area. We, we've seen a lot of crime and violent crime in the state of Ohio recently, you know, anywhere from 12 year olds to 17 year olds. What is going on? All right, that, that's a critical point. Now go back to on killing. Half a million copies sold worldwide, seven languages, Marine Corps Commandant's required reading. We're a nation of a third of a billion people. Now, the hard thing to explain is not that one in a million violent people. The hard thing to explain is that 99.99% of our citizens who didn't kill anybody. Mm. I mean, think about that. Divorce, infidelity, layoff, traffic accidents. In a lifetime of provocation, less than one in a thousand citizens will even seriously attempt to take a life. Explain that. And, and, and we have, I coined the term killology. Criminology is not about teaching people to be criminals. Killology is not about teaching people to kill. It's about understanding the factors that enable and restrain killing in our society. And if we know it, then we know how they can be turned off. Now, the first thing to understand about this, just explosion of violence, it is worldwide. Uh, uh, Finland's had three multiple homicides by juvenile school. Russia just had a whole burst. There was a, a mass murder school in Russia, and the report just happened to mention it was the fourth mass murder in a school in just that, that in just this year, in just that province, just that part of Russia. And it, it, Mexico is a howling war zone. It's more violent than almost any other nation on the planet. What is the new factor in Mexico? What's the new factor? Brazil's had multiple homicides by children in the school. There's one in Taiwan. There's one in Thailand. What is the new factor? Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, it's got to be worldwide. And the media desperately have to point the finger somewhere else. And they say, oh, it's all about the guns. If we just had gun laws, well, how are those gun laws working out in Russia? How are those gun laws working out in Mexico? Right. I mean, just ask yourself, boom, how those laws working in Mexico, boom. <laughs> and it, you immediately tear apart their argument because it's not about the guns. It's about what's in their heart, what's in their head, and how we can turn off these safeguards. And so here's the first thing to understand, just how desperately bad the situation is. Medical technology is holding down the murder rate. Every day, docs are saving a life that just last year would have died. So you got to allow for medical technology. It's like, it's like what if somebody said, uh, your grandpa made 20 cents an hour. You make $20 an hour. Look how good you got it. We immediately see the lie there. We immediately understand this concept of, uh, of, of, uh, of, of inflation. But it is equally a lie. If we say, well, you know, crime is bad, but it wasn't as bad as it was in the 1960s. Ah, allow for medical technology. The story is completely different. So here's what we know. We had one really solid data point, a UMass Harvard study, uh, a peer-reviewed uh, uh, published article, a UMass Harvard study about how medical technology between the 1960s and the 1990s, medical technology is holding down the murder rate. To compare the murders in the 1990s, 1960s, you have to multiply by a factor of three or four in the 90s to be able to make a fair equation to the 60s. Yeah. And the leaps and bounds of life-saving technology 
since the 19, you know, since the 1990s is amazing. Tourniquets alone on the battlefield. Everybody has a tourniquet and we're saving lives every day. Tourniquets alone may have cut the murder rate in half. It's, it's life-saving technology. It's so obvious and so powerful. Today, every EMS, every cop, every fire guy, lots of civilians, lots of veterans, we all carry a tourniquet around. Cop slaps on a tourniquet, saves a crime victim's life. He's prevented a murder. And so the number of dead people underrepresents the problem. We get it. Why won't anybody talk about this? Why won't they even talk about how desperately bad it has become? So realize that, that, that it's much, much worse than it looks. You know, I, I train our nation's largest fire EMS service. They say, Dave, we guarantee you 20, 30 times a night in our city alone. We slap on a tourniquet and save a crime victim's life. Just 20 to 30 murders a day are prevented. You cut the murder rate in half. Yeah, you, so, so this is this is really important. You mentioned uh, you mentioned once that you know all these years of history of uh, black powder firearms and things like that, and we didn't see our first school shooting until you know. If it's not guns, what is it? Yeah, you know what what's so causing first, right? First, understand how desperately bad it is. Second, understand the new factor. I mean, what's happening in Finland? What's happening in Mexico? What's happening in Russia? Russia had had a mass murder in a college on the scale of Virginia Tech. We never heard about it. Just look at Russia college massacre. Boom, it'll come right up. So the new factor around the world are the sick movies and the sick TV shows, and especially the sick video games we're feeding our children. Now, going back to on killing, in World War II, we found out that only 15 to 20 percent of the individual riflemen will pull the trigger in combat. They'd be brave, they'd run ammo, they'd rescue wounded. When it comes time to pull the trigger, they just didn't do it. Only 15 if there was a leader, if, yeah, if there's right. a leader standing over their shoulder, they'll shoot. The minute that leader moves, they stop shooting. And, and, and what we ran into is this powerful resistance. When you become frightened, when you become angry, a God-given resistance against killing members of your own species. Well, we've learned how to turn that off. And from the Korean War and Vietnam, and much more so today, we overcame that resistance by making killing a condition response. If you've been in the armed forces since the Korean War, you never once shot a bullseye target. You know, in World War II, they shot bullseyes. We have no known case of any bullseyes ever attacking our troops. If you've been in military law enforcement, you never once shot a bullseye. A man-shaped silhouette pops in fuel of you. You hit the target, target drops. Stimulus response, stimulus response. We turn killing into a conditioned response. And oh, by the way, the video games are doing the exact same thing to our children without the safeguard of discipline to children. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's in the book. Again, thank you for mentioning Assassination Generation. Gave Personally gave a copy to President Trump. Personally gave a copy to Vice President Pence. By the way, I, I, I told Vice President Pence, you know, we have inflation-adjusted dollars. We need medically-adjusted murders. When we do that, it will transform the way we see the problem. So uh, when, when we talk about what, what's going on around the planet, the guns are not new. You know, in World War II, you know, semi-automatic, high-capacity military weapons. In World War II, we manufactured 7 million M1 carbines. Semi-automatic, 30-round magazine, military weapon. Millions flooded the market after World War II. And an eight-year-old kid could walk in the hardware store in, 19, in 1949, buy an M1 carbine, and walk out. 
up until 1968, any kid in America could order a gun from the Montgomery Ward's catalog and the U.S. mail will deliver the house. Guns are not new. Keeping guns out of the hands of our kids is important. We're doing a better job. We'll keep doing a better job. But the new factor are the sick movies and TV shows and video games. Now, now what do you say, what do you say, Dave, to, you know, because I hear this all the time, too, and you start talking about video games and Grand Theft Auto, and and, and it's not just about the violence, right? It's, 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 it's the obscenity and all the other things, but what do you say to the father that says, listen, I, I've watched horror movies and, you know, all you know, gory movies all my life and, and I didn't kill anybody. Like, what do you say to that individual? You know, my answer to that, when I was a kid, I never buckled my seatbelt. And nobody buckled their seatbelt. We're all just fine. I don't know a single kid who died because the seatbelt wasn't buckled. But as a cop, all I got to do is scrape a few kids off the highway become a believer in seatbelt laws. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what's going on here? It, 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 most people are just become bullies. They live their lives in fear. They, they've been implanted a sense of fear from the youngest days. They've been taught to take pleasure from human death and suffering. In healthy play, whenever somebody gets hurt, the play stops. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all play bang, bang. We play toy guns. And I shot you. No, you didn't. You smack him with your cap gun. It leaves a mark and he cries. Everybody gather around the hurt kid. Trying to convince him not to tell mom. In a basketball game, a football game, one of the players gets hurt, the play stops. In the video game, you blow your playmates' heads off in explosions of blood. Does the play stop? You get points. This is pathological play. This is dysfunctional play. It, I tell people, do you remember when you were a kid, that bully who sincerely took pleasure in making you suffer? Because there's many, many more of those kids out there today. Those video games are teaching you to fear and teaching you to take pleasure and inflict and, and be rewarded for inflicting damage. And, and I tell people, you know, like paintball, paintball and airsoft, they operate by rules. If somebody gets hurt, the play stops. The video game is a murder simulator. At its lowest level, it just makes you live your life in fear. At the next level, it makes you a bully. And at the highest level, it makes you a mass murderer. This is the one new factor around the planet. Every one of these killers, and, and, and the goal is to save our own children, to save our own community, to let them know. Please, go ahead. Yeah, and I'm as somebody who grew up in the video game generation, you know, it was a big deal when I got my Nintendo, my Genesis, but we're talking Mario Brothers and Sonic the Hedgehog and those types of things. Donkey Kong. Yeah. Exactly, but now you look, at, yeah. you look at these video games, it's not only that they're violent, it's that they're first person they're like actually putting you behind the barrel of the gun and in most of the games even if your character dies you respawn and it's it's just like a blip on the radar but they're they're marketing essentially warfare that that's one thing that doesn't sit well with me some of some of these uh war-based games that people really died in these conflicts there are patriots that gave their lives in these yeah. conflicts and we're we're putting them on consoles for for kids to get entertainment from and then wondering why we're seeing an uptick in violence like it and seems like a clear connection to me yes why are they so addictive why are we drawn to that well, well folks we were not born with fangs or claws our survival mechanism is is our brain. And when we see violence, we learn from it. If there's violence in your environment and you're not immediately personally threatened, 
Your survival demands that you watch it. Mom beats, a dad beats mom. Mom, dad beats mom every night. The kid hates that. The kid lives in fear and horror. But he watches it every night. And when he grows up and he gets a wife, he's far more likely to do that same thing. But you can't not watch dad beat mom. You can't ignore it. And we're biologically drawn. Lessons are being learned. The violence is the addictive ingredient. And, and sex, once you hit puberty, sex is the addictive ingredient. But prior to puberty and on through, violence is what we're drawn to, to look at. If there's violence there, our survival demands that we watch it and learn from other people's experience. Yeah. So it's the addictive ingredient. And here's the key factor in this whole equation sleep deprivation. And what is the new factor? First off, understand this. Sleep deprivation is a key factor in suicide. I, we don't know that. Uh, it, taking your life is not a natural act. Every living organism will fight desperately for self-preservation. To intentionally take your own life, is just, it's just it flies in the face of every different dynamic. And that's within to the top three reasons for death, right? For, for kids now, is suicide. Yes. yes. It, one of the top killers of our kids is is suicide one of the best meta studies of suicide a study of studies says not only is sleep deprivation a key factor in suicide it's the most remediable factor if we gave a hoot about suicide among our kids among our world the first thing we'd look at boom is this epidemic of sleep deprivation number two sleep deprivation is a key factor in traffic deaths another major killer of our kids Decade after decade, we brought traffic deaths down around the planet, airbags, seatbelts, medical technology. Now for the last 10 years, around the planet, traffic deaths have exploded. What is the new factor around? And by the way, suicides have exploded. In every nation and every demographic group, suicides have exploded, traffic deaths have exploded. What is the new factor? This global epidemic of sleep deprivation. Three, the three major killers of your kids, traffic death, suicide, and opiate overdoses. Why are opiates the drug of choice? Prescription opiates have always been there. What's going on? Sleep deprivation creates chronic pain. You don't sleep. The tendons of muscles never fully relax. Doc, I heard all the time, give me a pill, a picunate pill, you need more sleep. And he got a knock off the caffeine shortly after lunch that stopped you from getting deep cycle sleep. So my dad, in 1941, when he was five years old, bought his first tobacco and started smoking at five years old. He said he, he plunked a nickel on the counter, couldn't even look over the counter, plucked a nickel on the counter, bought a pack of Bull Durham tobacco and rolling papers, began to smoke at five years old. Hey, candy rots your teeth. Cigarettes are good for you. It's his money. He wants to buy cigarettes. It's his business. And the, the tobacco industry had ads that say, as your doctor, I recommend camels. And then, and then another one said, well, your dentist, more dentists smoke, smoke Winston. Well, well dentists say Winston and, and docs say camels. They're all poison. Don't do it. But the battle with this tobacco industry was just to not sell this stuff to children. So go back to my book, Assassination Generation. In 2005, the state of California overwhelmingly voted to regulate children's access to violent video games. Well, California Obama. did, huh? Yeah. Wow. Home of Silicon Valley, home of Hollywood. The data was so powerful, it was so overwhelming. The state of California, by a vast majority of, of, of legislators, passed the law and Arnold Schwarzenegger signed the law to keep the violent video games out of the hands of kids. The video game industry fought 
all the way to the Supreme Court. They said, we have a constitutional First Amendment right to sell any game to any kid at any age. You cannot stop us. You cannot regulate us. And they conned seven old men, seven Supreme Court justices who never played Pong in their life, overturned the California law. Hmm. But the thing about the video games is they get more immersive. They get more addictive. Right now, several hundred million people are online playing video games online, and they're being trapped. If we do this, 5% say, oh, good time to save the game and quit, so we never do that again. If we do this, absolutely nobody quits, and we do more of that. Every generation of games becomes more addictive, more immersive, and more likely to create sleep deprivation. That, and this like the tobacco industry, selling tobacco to my dad in 1941, he's five years old. We didn't ban tobacco. We said, don't sell this stuff to children, and don't deny that they can do harm. But here we are trying to ban, and, and they fought all the way to sell any game to any kid to any age. This is evil. And this epidemic of sleep deprivation is one of the factors in this explosion of suicide. Yeah. So we've got this, we've got this stew going where there are multiple factors that you can't really separate one from the other. But because there are factors uh, and, and because they're so commingled, where do we start? Where do we start yeah. with our kids and yeah. trying to reverse this trend? Or, or even if it's just in our own homes, what can we do? That's so good. Uh, because I tell people, you know, imagine heart disease. What causes heart disease? Well, genetics and, and, and diet and exercise and, you know, and environmental factors. Yeah. But tobacco is also a factor. And, 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 and you know, we brought heart disease down. The tobacco industry says, see, Tobacco doesn't cause heart disease. We did all those other things, brought heart disease down. And the, the tobacco and the you know, it, 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 it's a multi-factor, but there are those variables you can control. Number one, take charge of your family's sleep. Now, I, we're going to move out to the spiritual side of this battle. My book on spiritual combat, 30 missions to virtuous warfare. One of the missions is sleep. This global epidemic of sleep deprivation is killing our children. Uh, suicides have exploded worldwide. Every age group, every demographic, teenagers, 10, 11, 12 year old, teenage girls suicide have tripled per capita in just wow. the last decade. Wow. These are little girls taking their lives. So a cop came up to me during one of the breaks in, in one of my presentations. I'm on the road over 200 days a year. And, and uh, he said, now I understand. He said, I had a good girl. She was an A student. She said, Dad, it's embarrassing. You don't have to take my cell phone every night. Family policy, cell phone with the charger, you go to bed. She said, you don't have to take my cell phone every night. You can trust me. He said, okay, I trust you. Let her keep her cell phone. He said, a little while later, she took her life. And my little girl took her life. And we never knew the hell she was living in until we looked at the text messages on her phone, night after night of ceaseless, relentless, vicious bullying. And he can't just ignore that. We're not wired this way. He said it was heartrending to see her up every night, night after night, trying to defend herself, trying to find somebody to stand up for. He said, I knew my little girl was bullied to death. What I didn't understand until now, she was sleep deprived, tormented, and bullied to death in front of my eyes. And I let it happen. He said, I can't ignore that text message in the middle of the night. How, how do we expect our kids to? 
He said, the one thing on earth I could have for my little girl was take her phone every night and let her turn off all the bad stuff in this world. So who's going to be your mommy? Who's going to be your daddy? And, and the tobacco industry was happy to sell tobacco to a five-year-old. And this industry, television, movies, and video games, they're happy to sell their product to the youngest kid and deny any responsibility. You, you mentioned something, Dave, about Netflix. Um, tell our listeners about that. They're number one. Yeah. 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 You know, the binge watching TV shows, addictive social media, ever more addictive video games. This is out there it's destroying our children, destroying their sleep. But the head of Netflix said their number one competitor is not other online providers. Their number one competitor is sleep. The corporate policy of Netflix is to steal your sleep and to steal your children's sleep. And they don't care that it's killing people. They, will, they won't deny that it's a factor in suicide. They will deny that it's a factor in traffic deaths. They will deny that it's a factor in, 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 in opiate overdose. They just want to sell their product. And, and this is evil. But, but go back a ways and get a feeling for this. It really began in the early 1960s, right up to the early 60s. Hollywood operated by code. And the code said, we know the stories we tell, this is movie and television, we know the stories we tell have an impact on our society. And we know we have a responsibility to tell stories have positive impact. A lot of the code could be said in three words, crime doesn't pay. Criminals will not be depicted in a positive manner. Law enforcement will not be depicted in a negative manner. And crime will not be depicted as a positive paying proposition. Crime doesn't pay. The foundation of every civilization is law and order. And then in the early 1960s, they threw that quote away. They said, we accept no responsibility for the stories we give your children. But the commercials are worth vast amounts of money because they'll change your behavior. And so we began to turn it around where the cops were the bad guys and, 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 and the criminals were the good guys. You know, the guy that just got elected to be the senator in Pennsylvania, he said, you don't understand, in the prisons, they're all Morgan Freeman. It's like Morgan Freeman and, and Shawshank Redemption. This guy really believes our prisons are full of Morgan Freeman. And here's the key. Right up until we're five, six, seven, eight years old, what we see on TV, what we see in the movies, and real life, are all jumbled, and our dreams all jumbled together. Quite a while back, my, my son was in his 40s. He asked my wife, he said, did I, did I tell you that or did you just dream it? She said, you must have dreamed it. I don't remember. You ever been there as adults with yeah. children? What they watch on TV, what happens in their dreams and what happens in real life is all the same. Yeah, you, you've got a quote that says, uh, your body can't go where your mind has never been. Oh. And um, oh. that is a powerful quote. And I think the media has grown very, very proficient and taking our minds uh, oh. to places and in ways um, that we would have never dreamed were possible uh, years before. You had another quote. Um, uh, you had another quote that was talking about um, just in terms of violence and, and the gun violence. There's something in the brain that, that, that keeps us from killing each other, right? And you oh. told us that in, in the military, less than 20% would actually pull the trigger. I know law enforcement, I've got friends in law enforcement, many of them uh, have never, ever pulled a trigger in active duty. Yeah. Um, but yet the military, uh, I don't know if you still do this, but the military would actually get rid of the recruitment centers and make arcades. 
so that when they were young, you know, you get the kids addicted to coming to the arcade and then you sign them up and recruit them at 18. Is that still going on? Well, what happened was that the, 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 the army released a video game that was a recruiting tool. And it was an incredibly powerful recruiting tool. At the youngest age, think about being in the army. Think about here's what you're going to do. Here's what it's going to look like. And it was a while back, a decade or so back. It was an enormously powerful recruiting tool. Yeah. But they, they truly couldn't compete with the video game industry. After a decade, that game was gone. Ever more violent games from murder simulators, military simulators. But yes, for a while, we saw this dynamic where the military was, they, they still kept recruiting centers open, but this video game was a great recruiting tool that was bringing people in. You know, World War I, most of the people wouldn't pull the trigger. By Viet, but with the Korean War, we got the firing rate to around 50%. By Vietnam, we got it up to 95%. But in the modern war, we not only increased the firing rate, we increased the hit rate, which is huge, by using incredibly... Right. powerful simulators so it wasn't just play it was practice right that it, it was simulators realistic video simulators of the battlefield are being used to prepare our troops for this war and, and the same technology the same product is being fed to your children so please you, you ask what can we do as a family well, well again understand we're in a battle against forces of evil and, and, and on spiritual combat we talk about what we can do to prepare ourselves for this spiritual warfare and the opposite of evil is love. As we love our nation, as we love our God, as we love our children, we got to stand up and fight for everything we love. Everything is dear to us. And, and, and love conquers fear. And, and God said, we were not given a spirit of fear, mm -hmm. but of sound mind and of love. And perfect love casts out fear. Love defeats evil as, dark, as light defeats darkness. Love defeats fear. And God loves us with a deep and overwhelming love that we cannot even comprehend. Man. And, and so we defeat this evil with the love of our family, for our children. And, and we participate in this battle. And, and when we talk about it from a military standpoint, first and foremost is our mission, the commander's intent. Love God and love others. Mm -hmm. Boom. That's our, our mission. That's the commander's intent. How do we do Man. that? Yeah. That's a, that's a good word. That is a good Amen. word. And, and I would add, I would add for parents out there. I know we're in a, we're in a tough cultural moment. Hopefully we all know this as parents, but sometimes love isn't going to look like love. It's going to be doing the hard thing right. to protect oh. kids from this type of stuff. So oh, set right. the boundaries, set the boundaries, set the expectations and stick to them. No adult has ever said, I cursed my family for the movies I couldn't watch. Mm. No adult has ever said, I curse my family for the video games they wouldn't let me play. Now, one tool I want to put in everybody's hand is a, is a faith-based and medically-based website called ScreenStrong.com. Screen, S-C-R-E-E-N, Strong, S-T-R-O-N-G.com. And they're a great group for families to come together to detox their kids, to do TV turnoff weeks and TV turnoff periods. A, a study in upstate Michigan in, in a whole school district demonstrate when we turn off TV and movie and video games for 10 days, we cut violence in half, we cut bill in half, and we raise test scores double digits. Wow, we talked to those wow. kids for 10 days, cut violence in half, cut bullying in half, and raise test scores. And so the answer is there. Protect our children. 
Dave, thank you so much for the time today. This wow. has been really enlightening and informative. If our listeners want more content from you, where can they find uh, more information and more of the topics that you've covered yeah. today? My website is grossmanontruth.com. The truth on combat, the truth on killing, the truth on spiritual combat. Uh, G-R-O-S-S-M-A-N. The truth on hunting. Don't forget that one. Yeah. Dave's our resident hunter. He's about the only one in the office. That's right. We we always look over our shoulder during hunter season. I don't get much, but, you know, we'll talk about that later. You're going to like that. Grossmanontruth.com. Grossmanontruth.com. If you get a chance, we'll talk in more detail about sleep hygiene for our kids and the things that we should have known in elementary school on how to protect our kids from this global epidemic of sleep deprivation, how to protect them from the violent games, but just understand this, God's in control. And here's the big thing. Sooner or later, our nation will fall over my dead body. But hundred years, a thousand years, our nation will fall. Our son will die, but eternity continues. And stay focused on the big picture. Don't curse God when he doesn't answer your prayer the way you think he should. In the end, we're all gonna die. The most important thing we can ever do is bring people to the knowledge of salvation and eternity in heaven. Nothing, 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 nothing can compare to eternity. And the incredible dynamic of bringing people to the knowledge of salvation through the price we're paid for our sin in Jesus Christ. Never lose track of that. We are soldiers on a combat zone. This is not our home. We are soldiers in spiritual warfare deployed to a combat zone. In World War II, they enlisted for the duration. They didn't know how long the war would be. They were in for the whole fight. We are in here for the duration, but this is not our home. We've been deployed to do God's will in this world, to love others and to to love God. And then how do we do that? The Great Commission. This is our mission, to bring people the knowledge of salvation, to go into all the world in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And how do we do that? Make our life a living testimony. Far better to live the sermon than to preach it. Amen. As you, my brothers, as you go I forward, know he's going to be preaching. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> Pass a collection plate around That's here. Right. <laughs> right. Lieutenant God Colonel you, Dave Grossman, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. This episode of The Narrative has been presented by CCV and produced by Wessler Media. If you found today's episode insightful, go ahead and leave us a review or rating, and please subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. The Narrative is hosted by me, Mike Andrews, Aaron Baer, and David Mahan. Take care, and we'll see you next time on The Narrative.